mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. We will be beginning in verse 22. But again, by way of review, we have uh, our last miracle. John calls them signs. It's a token. It's a wonder. Uh, if you remember Jesus trying to get the boys some rest, the apostles, he's, he gets them into a boat. He tells them we're going to go to the other side. And they get in the storm and in the boat. And here comes Jesus by night walking on the sea. He's walking on the sea, um, and when they saw him, let's look at verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now listen, this ship ride that they took is a picture, if you will, of our salvation. He called them. He sent them out. They come back. He's having a discourse with them. He feeds the 5,000. He's, he's training them to be a servant. He's proving them. He proves Philip. Philip, he says, how can we, how can we feed these people? And Philip says, well, 200 denarii is not enough to feed them. So they look at that, their own resources, and they go, that's not enough. Well, let's look around. Let's look at the world and see if there's resources. And they find a little boy standing there with his lunch. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And he goes, here's, here's five loaves and two fish. But what is that amongst so many? And Jesus just speaks into the situations and says, has them sit down. Tell them to sit down. And because they listen, and they have them set down in fifties and hundreds, then everybody eats and is gluttoned. They're full. They, everybody gets it. What do they do? Jesus, we're going to see it in the text. We're reminded of it. And you need to get this, is that he gives thanks for the food. He looks up and gives thanks first. That's the very first thing that happens. And then he begins to break it and hand it out to those who want to be a servant. And then those who are being a servant take it to other people. And when they take it to other people, those people are fed. And at the end of it, he says, gather up the fragments. And they gather up the remnant. And they each have a basket left over, 12 full baskets very important to remember that when you obey God's voice by faith, you listen to what he says, there will be fruit afterwards. There will be a supply for you. There will be reward. You will have a basket full, a vessel full of fruit or fragments left over. Then he tells them, let's get into the boat. Let's go to the other side. And that's where I was trying to get you to. 
And as they get into the fellowship together, he begins again to prove them, to try them. They go through storms. Listen, there's going to be storms in life. There's going to be trials. There's going to be proving. They will be temptation. God will never tempt you, but there'll be temptation. He allows it when you're in the boat, when you're in the fellowship, when you're in the dark as they were on the sea, which is many waters. It's all the world. There becomes this great storm. And these fishermen, listen, these fishermen are used to being in storms, and yet they are afraid. They see Jesus drawing near. One text said they thought they saw a ghost. But he said to them, it is I. He spoke again his word. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into their vessel, into the ship. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Listen to me. When you receive Jesus into your vessel... You're immediately positionally saved. You're immediately where you're going. But there's going to be some practical proving, some practical testing. There's going to be some other things that go on in your life. Storms are going to come. Battles are going to come. Trials are going to come. You're going to go through some things. But with Jesus in the boat, you're going to be okay. Because your position is set. Your place is set. Your citizenship is set. Stay in the boat. Don't get out of the boat. Well, all of this really sets us up for the following day. And that's our text. It sets us up for um, the discourse on the bread of life that Jesus is going to give. Because God is testing hearts. He's testing them today. In fact, Proverbs 17.3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. The Lord tests the hearts, and He tests them with fire. He allows trials. He allows storms. He allows things to go on. He will even allow you to prosper and test your heart. And He brings you to the end of yourself so that you can walk in His strength, so that you can be a child of God that's led by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. So let's read our lesson today as we um, enter into this, which begins the discourse on the bread of life that Jesus gives, uh, the longest chapter we're still looking at in the Bible, or excuse me, not in the Bible, in the New Testament. Verse 22, on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out. For I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would shut down all the distractions physically, mentally and you would open the heart of our understanding give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to the church today that we'd be able to comprehend the height the depth the length and the breadth of your love for us and that we would freely come because we know that anyone who comes to you you will in no wise cast out pour out your spirit upon us have your way with us help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Quickly, before I move on, I made a bad statement last week, and I like to correct those. While the service was going on, my wife even texted me because I said something about sacrificing unclean animals when they got off the ark. You can go read uh, in Genesis 7 and 8. Uh, they didn't ever sacrifice unclean animals. It was only clean that were sacrificed to God. And so they took seven uh, sets of the uh, uh, the clean animals, and the first thing they did when the door opened on the 17th of Nisan, uh, which is the same day that Jesus rose from the grave, when the door of the ark opened, the first thing they did was took the odd number, the, the seventh unclean one, the perfect number, and they sacrificed it to God because of their new beginning they were going to have, the eight people, which is the number of new beginning that were on the ark. So I just want to make sure that anytime, if you hear me say something, don't get into contentious argument with me. Just come up and show me the scripture. Show me the proof, and I will correct that. I like to be corrected. It's fine. It's something that needs to be done. None of us are perfect. And I was making a statement in the midst of my sermon, and so it was not correct. And most people wouldn't catch that. My wife, she watches me like a hawk. Oh, no, I'm teasing. 
I just wanted you to know that, though. So you can go back and read in Genesis about that. Now, let's enter back into this text because we want to see really the. We're going to see the seven I am's. The seven I am's that John presents that Jesus made. Uh, I am that I am. I am the becoming one, the self-existing one. So many people will say, uh, well, when did God, when did Jesus say he was God? When Jesus says I am, he's declaring himself to be God. And I'll go point that out to you here pretty quickly, but not right at this moment. We're going to look at this and find out what it means. 22, on the following day, not a transition statement, a continuation statement of what we're seeing in this same text where Jesus put the boys in the boat. He, get, he said, get some rest. Listen, that's what we're supposed to be doing right now, getting rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It should, we should rest from our works and enter into his works. And you have to hear his voice. You have to listen to his voice. You have to understand that he is the bread of life. You have to understand that that's the only place you're going to find rest is in Christ. Get in the boat, get in the fellowship, and then there comes rest because the Spirit of God comes in and seals you until the day of redemption. The Spirit of God is going to lead you and get you to the other side. Jesus is in the boat. Notice, listen to me. Notice we're going to see the following day. They didn't see how Jesus got there. They don't know how Jesus got in your body in your vessel, in your boat, how he's leading you to the other side. The world can't see that. They're looking for the physical. You and I need to get our focus focused on the spiritual. Jesus, if he's in the boat, you're okay. You're positionally fine. You're going to get to the other side. He promises, I will complete the work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. He will come to you in the storms. He's there with you. He's proving you. He's trying you. He's testing you. He's teaching you. He's refining you. He's preparing you for tomorrow. I only have one proverb that God ever gave me that uh, I wrote down, and that is your struggles today will be your strengths for tomorrow. If you learn the lesson and allow the proving that God is going to do in your life through the storm, that storm, that struggle will be your strength for tomorrow. You'll be able to counsel others in that. You'll be able to use that as, as a testimony and a witness to others. So your struggles for today will be your strengths for tomorrow. He allows that. He's putting you to a proof so you will go through it. You know, there's a principle in the Bible. There's a through principle. You cannot go around it. You have to go through it with him in the boat. Most people want to get right away from it. Give me a pill. Give me, give me this. Give me that. Get a new job. You, you run from yourself. You run from God. He's the one in the vessel. You can't get away from him. Where can you go to escape his spirit? You can't get away from him. David rehearsed. So he puts you in the boat so you can get rest. Now notice when the people who were standing on the other side of the seesaw, playground joke, that there was no other boat there, no other ship there. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved except the one which his disciples had entered 
and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Now notice they're standing on the shore. They see this. They see Jesus put them in the boat, push, cast them out, and then he goes away the other way to a mountain to pray. That's where he's at right now, making intercession for you and me. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Second mention, he gave thanks. That's how he began to break it. It, it came from the Father. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, they were in that area, they seen he wasn't there, nor his disciples, they seen him, put him in the boat. They also got into some boats and some ships, and they came to Capernaum, to the other side. Listen, there's lots of people in the church, lots of people in the vessel that do not know Jesus. They're standing looking for a handout. They're not looking for a hand up. They're not looking for a new life. They're looking for something else. What are you looking for? Jesus is going to address it. They came seeking Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons. 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea... They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? See, the boys went there. Jesus was there. They're all on the other side. They made it home safe to the place of comfort and rest, Capernaum. And they never seen Jesus get there. Now, you and I, we have a little bit of spiritual insight because we know he came walking on the water, showing that he has power and authority over all the elements. We know naturally the laws of physics. You step in the water, you're falling in. But he can walk over everything. This is, these are miracles. These are wonders. It shows us so much more about him than what we would know uh, just by looking at him, because there was no comeliness about him. When you would just look at him, he looked like anybody else, but it was his words. It was who he was, the anointed of God, that makes it different. He was called for a purpose. So are you. Your gifting makes it different. Your listening to the Spirit makes it different. Jesus being in the vessel by the Spirit of God, and nobody even really sees how it's going on, makes it different when you surrender and allow His power to work through you instead of continuing in your works, in your sin, in yourself. You surrender and allow Jesus in the boat, and you enter into his works. You enter into his rest. You allow him to be Lord and Savior and take you freely to the other side. And he's going to work on you. Listen, we're works in progress. We're his workmanship. He's going to keep working on you until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to give up on you, but you got to let him in the boat, and you got to start moving in that direction of sanctification, washing and cleansing, surrender. So there he is on the other side of the sea. And they don't know, you know, they said, when did you come here? When? How? Well, shouldn't that be the question? How did you get here? That's really what they want to know. They got in boats. They found boats. They got over there. and He's already there. Is he in your vessel? Are you trusting him? Look at 26. Look how he answers them. Listen, he answers. He answers the heart. They said when, they should have said how, but he answers their hearts. He answers what's going on in their lives because he wants to prove them. He wants them to come to him. He wants them to surrender their lives. 
He knows the motive of our hearts. That's what the Bible tells us. He knows your heart. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows their heart. He knows your heart. He wants you to learn your heart. That's what He's trying to show us as He proves us and tests us so that He brings us to a humble place where He can use our vessel for His glory. Look, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said verily verily most assuredly is in the new king james verily verily is in the uh king james and it, in the greek it's amen and amen remember we talked about this one of the it's a word that translates no matter what hebrew greek any language amen and amen means the same thing it's truth it's veracity it means so be it this is a most certain statement spoken by the lord of glory speaking and he knows your heart he needs nobody to testify of your heart he knows what is in man's heart he knows our sin nature and he came to die for us the lamb of god so that we don't have to live in that nature and continue in this bondage that we can be set free and and allow him to be the captain of our ship the anchor of our soul the savior of our life the redeemer that he was appointed to be he says verily verily amen and amen i say to you you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled you want another you want another free lunch you're seeking me for the physical and i'm here for the spiritual Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His right living. Have your hearts right with God, and then all these other things I will add to you. So it has to be vertical first. Your vertical relationship right with God, and then all the horizontal ones will fall into place. You'll become a servant to the horizontal. You'll lay your life down for the horizontal. You'll be a witness to the horizontal relationships. They'll all make more sense. You'll learn to give mercy and grace and forgive because you'll be like your Father in heaven. You'll be a child of God led by the Spirit of God, being conformed into the image of God for the glory of God. You begin to change and understand that this is all physical and we're spirits in a body, not bodies with a spirit. We're spirits first. It's so important that we get that, that we're spirits And so they're seeking him because they want some more food. They're not going, wow, did you see what he did? He must be the Messiah. Let's go over there and let's worship him. No, they want a hand out, not a hand up. That's all they want. We see that in culturanity. We see that in the church today. People are like, they go to the church and they, well, why did you stop going to that church? Oh, I just didn't like the praise team. Oh, I just, I just, I just, I just, I just, you get the I? I. It's ego. It's ease God out. And it's there to please your flesh. I'm not here to please your flesh. I'm sorry. I'm here to please God. In fact, at the, at the root of it, the first fruit of it, it's not even about you. It's about me being faithful to God and what he's called me to do. But he's called me to be a teacher and an evangelist, a servant to you. 
Because that's the only way to serve God properly is to serve others. When you serve others, because he died for others. He gave his life for others. He poured out his blood for others. But when you always stay angry, mean, and nasty, and mad, and talk about others, you're doing the exact opposite. You're living in the flesh, in the Antichrist spirit. As opposed to being more like God. When do we get to be the most like God? When we forgive. When we give grace and mercy. When we lay our life down. That's the example of God. Isn't that the thing that you like most about God, that he forgave you? He's not going to put you in hell, but he died for you? If those are the things that we like, then if we're supposed to love God, we're supposed to give that to others as his light bearers. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We all perish for lack of knowledge, God would tell us. And they're seeking for the wrong reason. We come to church because we think it makes us look good. Some people, as we've talked about before, go to close the eyes. Others go to eye the clothes. They want to see what's in and what's new. They're not there to close their eyes and be equipped for the work of the ministry. They're just there to have fun and be noticed. It's all about them. That's, that's good old-fashioned sin. It's nothing close to surrender to God. It's nothing close to living a life for the kingdom of God. It's nothing close to being led by the Spirit. The word seek there is to desire or inquire or to seek after. Listen, I can tell you that John 6 is Jesus preaching the place empty. And I know I always say that facetiously. I want to preach the place empty. I don't want to preach the place empty because everybody goes away and goes to hell. I want you to become a screaming evangelist and go tell somebody else and start a Bible study and have people come to you because you get it, because you begin to be led by the Spirit. The kingdom of God has never been about a bunch of people meeting in a building and a whole bunch more coming in, a whole bunch more coming. It's always been about winning, discipling, and sending. Get them out to tell others. It's the greatest marketing plan that's ever been, if you want to call it that, that's ever been originated where Jesus took 12 guys and he trained them. He, he laid his life down for them. He spoke into their life, and they seen it by, by, by faith. They listened to what he said, and they did it, and they became trained, and they went out and told others. And you and I, over 2,000 years later, are still hearing. Men died for it. They wrote it down. We're not supposed to be pew setters. This is not a spectator sport. This is about souls. We're ministers. We're ambassadors for Christ. As if Christ was pleading through us, be reconciled to God. He's done everything he can do. And yet we continue to pursue everything else. And when we do pursue him, we seek him for the wrong reasons. Not because we've seen the miracles and we say, wow, that's the Messiah. But because we ate the food, our physical appetites were satiated, and we want some more. And Jesus says in verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which, see, notice how the Word of God always doesn't just rebuke, doesn't just correct, 
but it instructs in righteousness, which the Son of Man will give you because, the, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Set his seal upon him. That's his stamp. That's his private mark. Listen, God's children have a private mark upon them. They're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you can see them by their love and by their service and by their joy and by their rest and by what they do. You can see them by how they act, by how their character and their witness and their testimony is changing from selfishness to selflessness. It's changing from serve me to serving others. That's what the Spirit of God does on the inside when he enters in because even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And that's what God's children should be doing. So he says, do not labor. That means to toil, to be engaged in as a task or an occupation. It means to minister for the food, it's meat, King James, which perisheth, it's destroy, it's going to die, it's mar, it's going to make you lose. If you put everything you have going after the material stuff, after the food that perishes, after that which only feeds the flesh, it's only going to end in death. It's all going to burn one day. Listen, everything that doesn't burn today is going to burn on judgment day. That's why we allow God's consuming fire to come in and burn away the heart, burn away who we are, burn away. Because on that day, it's going to be a consuming fire. Think about it. We're going to see it here in a minute. I'm going to go to uh, Exodus 3 here in a minute. You can start putting your finger in that. I'm just not there yet. There's a bunch of places I would like to go, but I'm not going to go to them because we don't have enough time. I would love for you to become a student of the word and start to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is going on in your life and what you're pursuing in your life and what you're laboring for. Are you laboring for food that perishes or food which endures to everlasting life? Are you looking for the bread of life? Are you satisfied with the word of God and the voice of God? Verse 28, the, the obvious question, look, the obvious thing to say next, the obvious thing that anybody would say. Now, remember, we've seen this with the Samaritan woman, but we've seen it with water, the Spirit of God. Now we're seeing it with bread. Then they said to him, with her it was one person, now it's a crowd. With Philip it was one person, now they're all in the boat. See, that's, why, that's how God does it. Personal love relationship, intimacy, one-on-one. -on -one. Then he can do it to the masses, the whole church, the whole crowd of unbelievers that to see. Then he said to, then they said to him, this is the question, what shall we do? What shall we perform? What shall we work that we may work the works of God? King James, what shall we work that we may work the works of God? Now, there is two different words. They're about the same for work there. Um, they're, they're almost the same. 
One is the labor. It's what you're engaged in, what you're ministering as a task or an occupation. And the other one is ergon, which is your effort towards your acts doing. Remember, I tell you all the time that really when it's the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts is supposed to be the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Everything that you and I do should be the acts of the Holy Spirit through Greg. The acts of the Holy Spirit through fill in the blank. It should never be my works, my occupation, my labor, my toil, because I'm working my way to God. I'm working my way to salvation. I'm doing this for God. Listen, you can't do nothing for God except surrender and let him in the vessel and then let him prove you. And every time it happens, say, oh, wow, I need wisdom. Remember what James says? Count it all joy when you go through various trials. Think forward to what God is doing. That's what count means. It's thinking to the other side what God is going to do. And then if you lack wisdom in that trial, ask God for wisdom who gives up to all liberally and without reproach. But if you ask him for wisdom and then you go, no, nah, I don't like that. I'm going to do something different. You're double-minded. Now you're saying, I didn't like what God asked me to do. Remember, what, what, would, the, what would have happened to the 5,000 when Jesus said, have them all set down in 50s and 100s. And they go, Jesus, we only have $200 and we don't have enough food. What would happen? They would be in the flesh. They would be disobeying the word of God, the voice of God, the command of God. They would be faithless with unbelief and nobody would have got fed. No baskets left over, no fruit gain, no proving. We just stand there and go, this is hopeless. I'm a victim here. The Lord wants me to feed 5,000 people, and there's no way to do it. The Lord is never going to ask you to do something that he doesn't already know what he's going to do and how to do it. He prepares you for the task. He doesn't call the prepared. He calls you and then prepares you. The problem is, is we come in going, I know why he called me. He called me because I have this and I have that and I can do this. He's like, nope, that's going to get in the way. I'll tell you right now, that's going to get in the way. Every bit of that. Deny self. Take up your cross daily and follow him. That's the, that's the walk of the Christian. Dead to self. Paul said, I die daily. You get up and say, no, 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 because we get in the way. Where's this food going to come from? It comes from Jesus. He gives it to you. Why? Because the Father set his seal upon him. He anointed him for this purpose, to come and die and yea, raise again, and then give all of us his righteousness. Then they said to him, what shall we do to work the works of God? Look at the answer, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's all the works. Isn't that amazing? Pistio, to commit yourself. He's asking for commitment. That's what God wants is commitment and trust. It means to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. In this case, into him whom the Father has sent to Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Just believe him. 
Just believe him and want to hear more than he has to say because my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, Jesus says in John 10, 27. So the first way to do the works is to believe that he is the Messiah. See, they, they're not seeking for that reason. Because if they were, the Spirit of God would come in and they would surrender their life completely. They would be endeavoring to surrender their life completely. They would be saying, oh, I'm mourning over my sin instead of practicing sin and thinking it's okay. And that because they said some type of prayer, they were going to get to go to heaven. It's not biblical at all. Not even close to biblical. Not even close. And you cannot work the work of God unless you just surrender your heart, soul, mind, and strength to him whom the Father has sent. You believe him. You trust him. You commit to them. Enter into a marriage agreement with him. Betrothed to him and become his helpmate as the bride. Isn't that how it happened in the garden? Think about it. Adam and Eve, Eve became the helpmate. What happened? They tried to do it in the flesh. They didn't listen to the voice of God. They tried to do it with some other voice, flesh, and a Christ. It all failed. You and I inherited that inheritance of death. The wages of sin is death. We inherit that. Now, second Adam comes. He dies for us. And he gives us the opportunity to believe in him. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, you get the imputed righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made. I agree. I will. I do. Salvation. True deliverance from the sin nature is when you begin to agree with God and you seek God for the right reason, you see personally who you are, where we are from, that we deserve death, that none of this is, and we're being conformed, proven, and become the helpmate, the servant that goes out in the spirit to serve others, the servant that goes out in the spirit to lay his life down for others, to give people grace and mercy. If that's not the characteristics that we're growing then we're going to the wrong places. We're coming for the wrong reason. We're seeking Jesus. And then at the same time saying, talk to the hand. Double-mindedness, where we don't listen to what he says and follow by faith and trust him. We should at least say, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you believe in who God sent? Do you know who he is? Are you looking for him? Are you searching for him? Are you being led by his spirit? Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now they want him to, to dance, clap, play a harp, jump around. And then they, in, in, in order to uh, 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 embolden their statement and support it, they said, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, they're going to quote Scripture to the Lord of glory. They're quoting Scripture to Jesus. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they want a sign. They want a miracle. Well, did, did, did you not see me just feed you? Was that not a miracle? 
See, that's the whole point. You came to get your belly. Their eyes are on the physical. Their eyes are not on the spiritual. Because if you see somebody take five little loaves, give thanks, two little fish, and feed 15, 20,000 people, and you don't see that as a sign that there's something going on? And I, I caution you, too. I caution you. I want to warn you. Do not get your eyes fixed on the sign. Signs do not produce saving faith. Signs follow true faith. Think about this just for a minute. It's Luke chapter 2. Jesus is old enough now to be uh, 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 circumcised. He's old enough to give the gift for him breaking the womb. Think about it. They're going to the temple. You guys there? You don't have to turn there. And who do they meet? Simeon comes in. Simeon's come in, led by the Spirit of God. Anna's already there. She's working there. She's been there 84 years since her virginity, where she'd been married, and now she's a widow. She's been in the temple. Both of them, without any sign, walk up and know that that little bitty baby is the Messiah. Simeon has been told that he would not die until he's seen the Lord's Messiah, the consolation of Israel. He didn't need a sign. He didn't need somebody to come skipping through the door. The one you see skipping through the door, the Spirit let him right up, and he took the baby in his hands, and they let him have their little baby. And he said, now my soul can part in, in, in peace because I have seen the consolation of the Lord. He didn't need a sign. When the Spirit of God is leading, you don't need a sign. You need the Word of God, the voice of God, and obey the truth of God. But you know, if a red car goes by in the next 10 cars, then you're supposed to do that, right? All those crazy fleecing and, and things that we do to God, instead of just learning the truth and obeying the truth and following the truth, and we make up all of these things, well, if they call me, I will. Well, if they don't, I won't. We already know to do it. You're just wrestling with your own flesh. Listen, we don't need signs. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. That's what they're still doing. Thirty-two. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, Amen, Amen. Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. That's probably freaking them out because they've been taught that Moses did. See, because their whole, their whole life, they've been worshiping Moses. They've made God so holy, they took the, 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 misspelled his name. They don't even know how to spell his name anymore. They have made God so holy that they, I mean, and he is, believe me, but he wants to be worshiped. They're worshiping Moses. They've made Moses the, the, the target of their worship, not God. What's the target of your worship? Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but, no, notice he doesn't go and explain any of that. He just says, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's given it now. He's offering it now. But it wasn't Moses. Moses was the servant of the Lord. Moses was a type of Christ. Moses is one being drawn out. Where from? 
the water from the sea. Moses was one drawn out and put in the boat and then given anointing, called for a purpose to lead his people out of Egypt. The same way we are as the church sent. We're drawn out of the world. We're anointed by the Spirit of God, given gifts by God to go out and tell others about God. That's all Moses did. He would meet with God, hear the voice of God, and go back and tell the people what God had said. What God was doing. And he stopped telling the people about what the world was doing. And acting like it was some big deal. The world's always been evil. The world's always had a conspiracy to kill God. The world's always been trying to form their own government. The church is supposed to be here in the voice of God and tell people that there's salvation in no other name. Not entering into a physical battle in the streets, in politics. In every place you go because you don't like what the world is doing. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Where are you going? What are you seeking? What are you doing? What boat are you in? Who is the spirit in your vessel? That's the question because it's going to be one-on-one. At the throne room, the judgment seat of the Lamb. So then he tells them, I mean, he's speaking of himself, obviously. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Isn't that interesting? Give it to us always. Isn't that what the Samaritan woman said when she was thirsty and she was going there to hide her shame and she was meeting in the noonday sun? And and she said, oh, who drinks of this water will never thirst again. Oh, well, give it to me. Give me. That's what I'll never have to thirst again. First, she argued. She said, you have no vessel to draw it with. Little contentious. Now they want this food. They want it. Give it to us always. I looked up the, the manna that they were given in the wilderness it, it, it means what is it because they had no idea what it is but it actually said in the blue letter bible it was an edible gum i'm like that's weird but it was like a gummy resiny um it's it's called uh it's spoken of in three different places it's called um angel's food in psalm 78 24 angel's food in Nehemiah 9.15 and Exodus 16.4, it talks about it. But you know that in Exodus, in Exodus uh, 16.4, what it says, if you go read it, you can write that down, you can read it later, you can see that God's always doing the same thing. You know what it says? He gave them the manna to test them. See, because that's what God's doing. He's testing and proving all of us. He gave it to test to them. Uh, collect only what you need for six days. And on the seventh day, collect twice as much. Or for five days on the sixth day, collect twice as much. Because you're not going out to collect any during the Sabbath rest. Everything is there to test us. Somebody gave my little grandson a 
little set of drums this week. And I said, you know what that is? And I say this all the time to the kids. He goes, what? And I go, it's just something else your mom can take from you when you misbehave. So make sure you're behaving and you won't lose them. He's like, he always does that with his head when he doesn't. He understands, but he doesn't understand. He don't want to hear it. Anyway, is that what you do to God? I do it to God. I usually say, what? Sorry, that's just what I say when I'm reading and, and I hear it and I say, what? Not questioning. I'm freaking out on what God says. So notice he says the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Angels food. In the wilderness, or in the, in the uh, uh, wilderness, it was on the ground, and they would collect it. It would melt in the noonday sun. If they took too much, it would mold. It would decay. But if you just took your daily bread, just the amount you needed, what happened? You never ran out. You had enough. My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's always enough. He takes care of His children. But if you try to get too much, you try to be greedy and take care of self and say, I'm going to store some up. It has to be a daily walk. And it came down from heaven and it gives life to the world. So they said, uh, Lord, give us this bread always. Don't we say that? When's the last time you read your Bible? That's what he's talking about. The bread of life. When's the last time you read your Bible? We want it always. Oh, no, I want physical food always. I want a buffet that just moves around and gets close to where I'm at all the time. What about the Word of God? What about the bread of God that came down from heaven? And He actually is with you all the time. doesn't have to be anything. You don't have to see it. He's just here by faith. He's God all over. So verse 35, And Jesus said to them, notice He spoke His Word, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Oh, so he takes care of both of them, hunger and thirst. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I am the bread of life. Now, bread is just, it's, <laughs> it means some flour and some water mixed up and baked. But the bread of life, not the bread of death, not the bread of physical. He's, he's speaking of spiritual food. He's speaking of because we're supposed to know that we are spirit and not flesh. Our battle is not flesh. It's against principalities and powers, against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, we're taking up the armor of God, which is putting on Christ. And you can only get that as you begin to sup with and have meals with the bread of life who come down. And you never have to hunger anymore. He satisfies the soul. And if you believe and you commit to him and trust in him, you'll never thirst. You'll never thirst again. Are you thirsty today? Is there something that you're not satisfied with? You're not content with? Something that you're hungry about? I just need to get, I just need to do, I just need to drink. Is there something that's not satisfied about your soul? Is God not enough? 
So are you seeking to take care of the physical or the spiritual? Do you keep going after the physical thinking it's going to satisfy you? There's nothing in the physical realm that will satisfy the spiritual need in your heart. And yet we continue to chase after it. How many dollars is enough? One more? How much food is enough? One more? How many relationships is enough? One more? Think about it. It doesn't satisfy. Only the relationship with the bread of life that comes down satisfies. You satisfy my soul. Or we can live in Antichrist spirit. We can t- continue to chase after stuff and, and then we can run around and sing, I can't get no satisfaction. Did you guys know that about Mick Jagger, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? He was being groomed to be the next great speaker of the church. Oh, he was raised in the church. He was a good singer. He was a good preacher, good orator. And he liked to play soccer. And he got hit in the face with a soccer ball and bit the tip of his tongue off. And they said, oh, now you're talking with a lisp. Now you're not singing as good. So he dropped out of church and got a night job and started a band and wrote a song called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. He got a tattoo from here all the way down his body of the, of the serpent. He sings sympathy for the devil. And he knows he can't get no satisfaction apart from God. And we can't either. Yet we continue to chase everything else. Just one more. Just another. I just need some of that. If I could just get all this that I can see... See, that's what the devil offered to Jesus even. All of these kingdoms I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Away from me, Satan. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, that's the word that come down. The bread of life come down. You know, most people will say, well, where did and when did Jesus say he was God? He just said it right there. I am the bread of life. He just said it right there. And they knew it. They understood it. I'm telling you that when you read John chapter 6, you always have to do this. You always have to turn your finger back to Exodus chapter 3. Turn to Exodus chapter 3 with me. We'll talk about this just a little bit. Listen, he's going to do this seven times. And here... Uh, here four times he says i am the bread of life 35 41 48 and 51 then in chapter 8 he's going to say i am the light of the world that's in 8 12 he's going to say i am the door of the sheep in chapter 10 verse 7 and 9 he's going to say i am the good shepherd in chapter 10 verses 11 and 14 he's going to say i am the resurrection and the life in eleven twenty-five. he's going to say i am the way the truth and the life in 14 6 and he's going to say i am the true vine in John 15 1 and 5 seven times completion perfection seven times he says I am this I am what you're looking for remember Moses one drawed out at that time they were supposed to kill all the male children that come out of the womb 
They were given orders by the world to kill all the male children. But he was beautiful. And his mom hid him. And then when she couldn't hide him anymore, she put him in a little ark and put him in the water of the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter came out and took him in. And he was trained in all the ways, the best schools, everything you could imagine in Egypt, astrology, magicians, everything you can imagine. And when he became of age, what did he do? He went out and he seen one of his Hebrew uh, 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 children being abused by a soldier. And he looked both ways. And in the flesh, he killed that soldier. He wanted to save the Hebrew nation in the flesh. And he killed one. And Pharaoh said, I'm going to do something to him. And so he had to flee. In the flesh, he couldn't kill one. He flees and he goes out into Midian and he comes across Jethro, the the priest of, of Most High God. He's a priest in Midian and he marries one of his daughters. First, he helps them drink water while the other men wouldn't. He didn't, all he had was daughters. Listen to me. And then he listens to God. He obeys God. And with, at, at the conclusion, when God takes everything out of him, proves him, tests him, tries him, he gets to the end where nothing that he ever learned matters. He says, here I am, send Aaron. Because he didn't think he could do anything. But with God, what happens? The entire nation of Egypt is destroyed in the Red Sea. The children of Israel are baptized into Moses by listening to his word, by following him through the Red Sea. But the world and Pharaoh, the devil and his power is destroyed in the same Red Sea. The same thing happens with Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. Moses come down and became our kinsman redeemer. We get married to him in belief. Romans 10, 9, and 10 becomes a wedding ceremony when you say, I will. And because you're married to him, the works of the devil are destroyed. In that same thing, you're baptized then by the Spirit of God. Receive the Spirit that will teach you the Scriptures. If I was going to read it, let's read it. Hold your finger in all 12 places. It's called Bible sword drills. I'm just going to read it to you. This is the first covenant being ratified with God and Abram. At this time, his name is Father. Later, it changes his name to Abraham, which is father of many nations. That's important for you to know because right now they're building three temples for Chrislam. One for Christianity. You ain't allowed to put a cross on it because that's evil. One for the Jewish nation and one for the Muslims, because all three of them come from Abram, the loins of Abram. The only one that is real is the ones that come from Isaac. The others all come from the flesh, and God doesn't recognize flesh. You have to come from the spirit. But in 15, it says this, 15, 13 of Genesis. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Notice it's God speaking and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. My goodness. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as you as for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace and shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In God's time, now, if you read the rest of that, they go to ratify the covenant and Moses or Abram falls asleep and God does it himself because there's nothing you and I can do. There's no works we can do. 
God has done everything for us. And now I want you to see God fulfilling that promise because he's going to fulfill the promise that we're going to get to the other side, just like in the boat. He's going to fulfill every promise he ever made. So now here in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses is in the desert. He's been there 40 years. 40 years in Pharaoh's house, number of judgment. Kills one guy, can't get away with it. Becomes a murderer, fleeing. 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. 40 years in the desert with Jethro. Jethro means his abundance. With Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Midian means strife, and the priest is, is literally one who officiates a chief ruler. And the angel, oh, excuse me, and he led the flock, so he's a shepherd, he's tending, to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb means desert or desolate. And the angel, notice it's a capital A, this is a Christophany. This is what this is called. This is pre-incarnate Christ in the flesh right here, a Christophany. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush, a bramble bush, a thorn bush, which is the curse. It represents the curse. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Hebrews tells us that God's a consuming fire. Notice this. It's not consumed. It's not destroyed. It's on fire, but it's not destroyed. It's not devoured. It's not burnt up. That's because just as God can walk on water, Christ can walk on water, He can set things on fire and them not be consumed because He's in control of fire. So when people say, oh, it doesn't make no sense to go to hell and be internally in flames and not be consumed. Oh, yeah, it does. We see it in the scriptures. You can be in fire, feel the pain of the fire and not be burned up. You can do whatever God wants to do. But here's a bush. It's on fire. It's not consumed. What does it do? It gets Moses's attention. He's like, huh, that's a consuming fire on that bush, that thorn bush, that curse. I'm in the backside desert. What's going on here? Look what happens. Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why this bush does not burn. Turn aside. Have you turned aside? In Hosea 9.12, it's translated depart. When God says he'll depart from Israel. It represents him departing from his life. Departing from his work. Departing from his shepherding. And turning to find out and investigate what's going on with this fire. With this bush. It's, it's us asking God. What's going on? What are you burning up here? What are you doing to sanctify me here? But notice. You can't just come anyway. You have to come in Christ. You have to come according to his word. Of course, we know that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, but only because we believe in Jesus. Only because of Jesus. You can't just come running up to God. 
Not if you don't believe in Jesus. He doesn't even hear your prayers. He said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight, this wonder, this miracle, why this bush does not burn. I can't, I can't help it. Okay. Moses is in heaven. Never mind. I'm not telling it because I don't know that they're going to go to heaven. It was, it was me. I'm arguing with myself up here, so calm down. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, changed his direction, he's investigating, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Remember? Verily, verily. Amen, amen. It's the same thing that he said to Abraham in chapter 22 of Genesis. He said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Watch this. Moses said, here I am. God speaks out of the fire. He wants to speak to you in your storm. He wants to speak to you in your fire. You're not going to be consumed. Quit panicking. He's trying to burn you out of your life and fill you with him. Fill your basket full of fruit. Verse 5. Then he said, God's speaking, they're having a conversation, they're growing together in intimacy, even here they're finding out things about each other. Do not draw near this place. What? Do not draw near this place, he says to him. Why? Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. See, he can't draw near without taking his sandals off. And we know that sandals is your walk. It's your life. He cannot draw near to God without taking off his sandals. King James says, thy shoes. It's sometimes used as a symbol of occupancy, a refusal to marry something of valueless, that's valueless. In other words, his walk is nothing. What he's pursuing is nothing. It's going to lead to death. Take your shoes off. Quit living your life. And if you leave your shoes on and you keep walking and doing what you want to do, instead of hearing the voice of God and obeying God and approaching God the way he says to approach him, then you're refusing to marry him. I don't care how many times you say, I said a prayer. I don't care how many times you say, I, I believe. If you don't take your walk off and die to self, take your own shoes off, you're refusing to be married and betrothed to God. It's an act of your heart. It's an act of your will. It doesn't matter what you say. It's holy ground. The place where you're standing. It all belongs to God. Now, verse 6, this is the instruction of God, 1 through 5. 6 is the number of man. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what does man do? And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This is what man does. You take off your shoes. 
or you'll hide your face from God. You won't read his word. You won't get into prayer. You won't get into fellowship. You'll do everything, make every excuse to hide from God because you're afraid of God because you don't understand the sacrifice of God. The bread that came down to give you life and has already paid for your sin. He's not mad about your sin. He's wanting to wash you and cleanse you and sanctify you and, and test you and prove you to make you a witness and a testimony of his great grace and mercy. But if you're still acting like a natural man, you'll hide your face so you can't receive the favor of God. And you'll be afraid. You'll walk in fear. Fear of man produces a stumbling block. Fear of God produces righteousness. That's what six is. What is seven, though? Seven is God announcing what he's going to do. Once again, the seven I am's. And the Lord said, I have surely, notice it's I, God can say that. I have surely seen the affliction, the oppression of my people who are in Egypt to you and me. It's a type of the world. And I have heard, notice what he sees. He sees, he's heard their cry because of their bondage, their taskmasters. For I know, so he sees, he hears, he knows their sorrows. He's acquainted with their grief because he came down. Listen, it hasn't even happened yet, but he's outside of time. So to him, he's already came down and died on the cross. He's already acquainted with our grief. He already knows what he's doing. And he's able to help. Now, number eight, listen, new beginnings. Because he knows this, because he sees, he hears, he knows, he's acquainted with their sorrows. He says in verse eight, new beginning, I have come down to deliver save, rescue. Oh, oh, that word deliver, good word. Snatch away. This word speaks of salvation and rapture at the same time. He's came down to deliver, but he's also going to snatch us away from the devourer. He's going to snatch us out of here. It means to pluck. He's going to bear fruit in our life, to defend us, to take us out, it says. That's what he's getting ready to do. He's getting ready to fulfill his promise. They'll be in that land for 400 years, but I will deliver them. Out of the hand of the Egyptians, the world, the sea, if you will, and to bring them up from the land to a, bring them up. We're going to go up to a land, good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, all the provision we need, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now that's the ites. There's also the termites and the, uh, um, never mind. But we were talking about this the other day. And Michael, it's a, you notice that AI is in the land, artificial intelligence, and it's all the ites back. I mean, the computers are run with terabytes, and, and, and if, I don't know computer language, but it's all ites. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's besieging. It's the attacking. It's done in the spiritual realm. It's coming after you. It's the same ites that are in the land leading you astray. Believe me. Believe me. The devil cannot be omnipresent. The devil cannot be all-powerful. But he can sure record it on a camera. He can sure record it on your phone. He can learn everything that he can learn up to a capacity, but only through AI. In fact, he can even put an operating system in your body if you let him. 
and he wants to, that will deceive you into taking a mark and worshiping the beast. He wants to change your DNA, put the new message in there with mRNA. That's what M stands for, message. I'm just telling you. Have you received the gospel message? So he's delivering them to this land. Now let's look, verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Have you been crying out to God? You're going through some things, but you're not crying out for wisdom. You're not allowing him to prove you, test you, and try you. You go through some things, you handle it yourself. You're taking care of it yourself. You're doing it yourself. Are you involved in the word prayer and fellowship? Is the body of Christ praying for you? What's going on in your life? Oh, I got this. This is a small thing. You know there's no big things with God? I just pray about the big things. I just tell God about the. There's no big things with God. Nothing is big to God. He says, all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yet so many just run along headlong in their flesh, headlong in sin, self, and Satan, headlong doing what they want, making their own plans, and they leave God out. They forget God. Read verse 9 again. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel, those governed by God is what Israel means, has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Just means distress or affliction. Oppression does. Come now. See, he's speaking to Moses, the one he's drawn out, the one he's had 40 years on backside seminary teaching him, about death to self, come now, therefore, because of all of this, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, see, he's already announced that it's going to happen back in Genesis 15 with Abram. Moses would know this, but Moses is still says, oh, don't send me, send Aaron. I'm not ready to go. But he's ready to send him. He does the same thing for the church. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to or baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gives us the same command when he calls us out. But Moses, verse 11, said to God, they're reasoning together. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, you know, the head of the world, to us as Satan, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, type of the world. Egypt means land of the cops or double straits. I looked that up. It's really interesting. Double straits is what it means, right? I go, wow, straits? Isn't that entered by the narrow entered by the straight gate. And I go, well, no, that don't make sense. I looked it up in Webster's 1828, and I would encourage you, and I say this every time that I say this, 
don't just look it up in any dictionary because the, the game of words is what the devil does. And he changes the linguistics. He changes what words mean. But in the 1828, the second definition for straits, double straits is Egypt. The world is going to cause you double straits, especially if you're trying to live for God and you're back in the world. It's going to be double. It, it, the, the word straight means to put to difficulties and distress. To put to difficulties and distress. So while you're trying to do that, if you would turn to God instead of living in the world, He will bring you out and lead you out. And he will train you and teach you and let you have a basket of fruit to be a witness for Him. Or you can enjoy the world and end up dying in the world. So He says, who am I? Well, you're nobody. That's exactly where I'm trying to get you to. Who am I? I'm an empty vessel that the Spirit of God works through. Verse 12, so he said, this is God speaking, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign. You want a sign? You want a miracle? Listen, this text of John chapter 6 fits this so perfectly. They're wanting a sign. They know the scriptures. They understand it. But they're blinded in part so you and I can come to salvation. Listen, and this shall be the sign. God gives him a sign without asking, and God will give signs. But if you ask and you're looking for the sign, you're seeking the sign, you're watching the sign, you'll be deceived by the sign. Lion signs and wonders is the next thing coming on to the, to the uh, uh, into view in the landscape of this world. Lying signs and wonders. If you don't know the word of God, you will follow the lie. You'll keep your eyes on the signs and the wonders and you will follow the Antichrist instead of following the voice of God. We are not living by sight. We don't follow signs. They follow. We're living by faith, listening to the voice of God, the word of God, the truth of God, the bread that comes down and gives life. Do not get your sight fixed on things and think that that makes people something because that's the next thing coming on the landscape of the planet. God will be with you. And this will be the sign that when I have sent you, or excuse me, that I have sent you, when you have brought the people out, not if you bring them out, when. This is God speaking. This is Christ talking. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What? You shall work on this mountain. That's what it means, to work in any sense. But it also means this, to worship. And it means to, it means husbandman. You become a bride on this mountain. We're not coming out to do our own thing. We're not coming out to be married to the world. We're not coming out to serve somebody else. When you become a child of God, it's becoming a believer priest who goes and serves others. You cease from your work. You enter into his rest, and you're doing the work of the ministry, which is becoming an ambassador for Christ. Then Moses said to God, verse 13, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? How can I answer them? Look at the beauty of this wisdom. Moses is trying to get out of it, but he's finding out what he's supposed to do, the instruction of how to walk. When I get there, they're going to question me. What should I say to them? Your name. And the name is a mark, again, it's a mark or memorial of individuality. 
It's his honor. It's his authority. And as I always tell you, it's his character. It's his nature. It's his will. This is what the name is. Now, here's what I'm getting you to. I want to do the whole chapter, but I'm getting you to this right here, 14 and 15. And God answers and said, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Are you here with me? Moreover, God said to Moses, this you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. How long is forever? Get a calculator. And this is the mark, the memorial to all generations. Listen, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's claiming to be God. That's his name forever. He's claiming to be God right there, the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread of life. It's his name forever and ever and ever. It means this. Here's what it is. Uh, to exist. He actually says in the King James, I am that I am. I exist that I exist. I am the becoming one. Be or to become. I am who I am. And he says, this is what you're supposed to tell them. Well, this is what Jesus is saying to them. But they don't have spiritual eyes to hear it. He's going to say it seven times and declare it. And if they knew the scriptures, it would be in line with exactly what happened when God kept his promise to bring Moses or the Egyptians, or excuse me, the, the Hebrews out of bondage. And that's always a type of you and I coming out of the bondage of sin. It's always a type uh, of being drawn out. Sixteen. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up and out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, to the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. He gives them an inheritance. Then they will heed your voice. Doesn't go exactly like that, does it? But God knows at the end they heed the voice. Then they will heed your voice. Isn't it about the voice? Isn't it about hearing my sheep, hear my voice? I know them and they follow me. Isn't that what happens with this type? Moses, they hear his voice and they follow him out. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And this is what God tells Moses. You're going on something that I know isn't going to be that easy. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand, which is God. 20. Well, 19 could be the devil. Mighty hand, because God's almighty. 20. So I will, this is what God's going to do, stretch out my hand, my righteous right arm, and strike 
Egypt, the world, with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst. And after that, he will let you go. Remember the 10 plagues? That's what it is, the 10 plagues. The 10 plagues are against, the, the, they had 1,000 priests, 3,000 uh, temples, and all 10 plagues attack. And the final one is the firstborn, which is who their priests were. Nobody can stop God from doing what he's doing. Nobody can stop him today. We need to understand he's the bread of life that came down and began to have a meal with him, began to feast upon it, began to obey his voice and follow him. And he will let you go. 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, of gold, clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. I don't know if you was listening when I was reading in Genesis 15. But that's exactly what he said would happen. They would go out and plunder the land. It destroys the land. And, and you know, when, when the restrainer goes, when you and I, the church, leaves the restrainer, it's going to plunder this land. Anything that would hold morality together will be plundered. And all that's going to happen is seven years of murder, chaos, death. You're going to start the, the, the tribulation period, three and a half years uh, where, where, where the Antichrist is ruling and they love him until he goes and sets down and causes the abomination of desolation. He sets in the temple and says, I'm God, worship me. Then there's three and a half more years where Israel's fleeing to Petra from him. But it's going to start those seven years where the earth is plundered. And then God will bring his wrath. And then we come back with him on white horses and we have the battle of Armageddon. The blood will be up to the bridle of the horses. Plunder. Let's go back to John 6. We'll close this out. So when people ask you, when did Jesus claim to be God? At least seven times in the book of John, chapter 6. He says, I am. At least seven times. He says, that's exactly what he's saying. I'm the self-existing one. I'm the bread of life that come down, we see first. The next one will be the light of the world. Remember, he said that in John 1. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. So he says, I am, the in verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am ego a me. See, when you say I, we say here, here am I. Here am I. Or who am I? Because we don't know who we are yet. But when we see him, Colossians 3 says, we'll be like him. It's not yet clear what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him. Who am I? But when he calls us to go, we say, here I am. Send me. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Isn't that cool? Never spiritually hunger because you'll be satisfied. It does not guarantee that your belly won't growl a little. We're talking of spiritual things. And he who believes, commits to me, trusts me, shall never thirst. 
living water. Let's just look over at 2 Corinthians 5 real quick. We've been here. We go here a lot. I want you to see it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What we're called to do. I'll just start in verse 16. Um, you can read the other part about the judgment seat. 16 says, therefore, and it's talking about the judgment seat. From now on, that's, that's the rest of your life, we regard no one according to the flesh. All right? It's all spiritual. We know it's all spiritual. We know it's a spiritual battle. We know it's a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual God, spiritual war. We know it's nothing to do with flesh. Your spirit's in flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? Then he is a new, a fresh creation. Old things have passed away. Flesh is in the grave. Behold, all things have become new. You don't have the old nature. You have a new nature now. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, through principle, and has given us the ministry we're going to serve, we're going to work of reconciliation. That is that God who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, not counting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the message of the gospel. That's the word that we speak. Now then, we are ambassadors. We represent our homeland. We're citizens in heaven for Christ as though God were pleading. As though God were pleading? It's God's will that all would come to repentance. God is pleading with people. He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. He wants us to follow and obey Him. As if God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Listen. For he made him who knew no sin for us, excuse me, sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, listen. He made him who knew no sin. He was sinless to be sin, to take the sin debt for us, the curse, cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree, that we might, see that word might, become the righteousness of God in him. You have to believe. You have to commit. You have to trust. You have to receive that. The might is there. It's able. The power is there. Our memory verse last week, James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Right before that, he said, but receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able has the ability, has the power to save your souls. But if you follow a different gospel, a different Jesus, culturanity, another message that doesn't line up with obedience to Christ, not for salvation, but because you're saved, because you believe, because you received, and you want to find out what the inheritance is, a land flowing with milk and honey. 36 in John 6 but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Clearly discern, but you don't believe. They've seen him feed 15,000 people. They've seen him do miracles, yet they still do not believe. Saving, 
or, or, or uh, signs do not produce saving faith. The Spirit of God does. When you surrender to God, they still don't believe even though they've seen it. They ask for a sign. He's like, you, you already seen a sign and you don't believe. 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Have you come? Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to. I don't know if I'm called. Well, if you come, you'll know. Just approach. Come boldly to the throne of grace and ask for, for forgiveness and ask for the Spirit of God. If we being evil will know how to give our children good gifts, how will God not give you His Holy Spirit when you ask? For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Whose will are we doing? Whose pleasure? Whose desire? This is, this is the example that Jesus gives us. He was sent, he's sealed, and he's dying to his own will. Not my will, but thy will be done. Whose will are you still doing? Whose will are we still doing? Whose life are you still living? And then he makes this statement. 39. This is the will of the Father. So he's coming down to do this will. Not his own, but the will of the Father who sent him. His plan. This is the will of the Father. I was wondering what it was. Who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Now, he makes that statement four times. Four times he says this, um, raise it up the last day. Looking for my note. In verse 39 here, verse 40, he says it again, 44 and 54. He says he's going to raise it up. Those who commit. You're not going to lose any of them. You know, so that takes the pressure off of your work. You think you got to get people saved? Listen, it's a work of the Spirit. But we're called to be involved in that work. We're privileged to go out and be ambassadors. But you can tell people all day long the Word of God. And only the Spirit of God can bring fruit from it. To bring increase from it. We're going to get to the other side. He's going to raise us up on the last day. The dead in Christ will rise first because they're six feet lower than us. They're in the grave. And then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air and thus we'll be with him always. And we're to encourage one another with these words. But that, that day should not take us as a thief in the night. We should not be found sleeping. Verse 40, number of judgment. And this is the will of him who sent me. Do you want to know what the will of God is? You see these? You just look for it. The will of God, the will of God, the will of God. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes, notice they seen and didn't believe. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Are you ready to go? Are you hastening the day 
Are you looking for that day? Are you looking for his glorious appearing? Is that foremost in your heart? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Listen, that's the expectancy we should live in, the imminency that he could come any moment. Any moment. Not being like Lot's wife looking back, saying, I'm not ready to go yet. I still have a few more things to do. But wait a minute. I want to enjoy this for a while. Listen, this is not our home. This is cruel bondage. This is cruel bondage. Seriously. You're forced to do what you're doing. You can rest in that force, but in order to live in this world, there's a force. If you have a mortgage, that's called a death grip. That's what it means. That's a death grip because you have to work and pay twice the amount of what the house is worth. It's a death grip. If you took out a 30-year mortgage, you will most definitely pay twice what the house was even sold to you for. Death grip is what it's called. See, it's bondage down here. We work because our hungry mouth drives us on. Those are natural things of the flesh. But do you have rest in the spirit? Is your job a mission field or bondage? Are you wore out, beat up, knocked down? I mean, I can give you one step to get right with the Lord. And go looking at your job differently. Well, it doesn't mean that the body won't groan and ache and, 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 and cry out for redemption. That's what pains are for. It's normal. But it's testing you, it's trying you, it's proving you, it's shaping your character, it's burning out your energy, and it, you should fill it with the Spirit of God and the power of God and do the work of God. You should be able to rest and have peace if you know God. Your body's going to fall apart. It's an earthly tent but your spirit should be growing. Your spirit that is married to God should be growing and going and the world fading away. So if the world is still drawing you closer and closer, you have to ask yourself, have I received the bread of life? Have I seen the bread of life and still do not believe? Because the will of the Father, judgment, is that everyone who sees the Son and trusts Him, commits to Him, will have everlasting life. And He will raise us up on the last day. That's the will of the Father. That's what He's working toward. Completion. Cross the finish line. Here, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. That's the same way I like my meat, my steak. Well done. When they say, how you are? Well done, because that's what I long to hear from the Lord. Well done. That's why I say the only steak you can eat is a well done one, because it's biblical. Oh, never mind. Father, thank you for your word and this discourse that your son is giving us on him being the bread of life the meat. Lord, we ask that we would surrender. We would desire to sup with him. We know he's standing at the door and knocking. And if anyone will open the door, he will come in and dine with us and he with me. Lord, we know that it's the table that he wants us to eat at. 
It's the table that was the first thing that was lost in the families. We stop sitting at the table. We stop fellowshipping over food. And Lord, we're about to do that in our pitch-in dinner. So we ask, Lord, that you would make it rich. You would change our hearts and our lives as we sup together. Lord, we do pray, come quickly. We're looking for you to part the clouds, Lord. There's clouds out there today. Come quickly. But until you come, Lord, we pray that we would go and be about your business. That we would go and be witnesses and give testimony of the bread of life that has come down to give us life and that more abundantly. We give you praise, Lord. Bless our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I